Hello, and welcome to Just Another Real Estate Podcast, where we'll speak with Arizona's most successful real estate professionals to better understand their business, current market conditions, team and business building strategies, successes, and challenges. This podcast is brought to you by Dwell Inspect Arizona with your host, Sean Garvey. All right. Uh, today's guest for Just Another Real Estate Podcast. Uh, today I have with me, Hank Grease of Velo Park Properties. Hank, thank you so much for being on. It's it's an honor to have you in with our, I think it's fifth or sixth guest. Sixth guest, that's what it is. This is super fun to have you here. Well, thanks uh, thanks for having me, Sean. I, uh, I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to, to be with you. Yeah, of course. So, um, Hank, you are the owner, designated broker, Head honcho at Velo Park Properties. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, that's correct. It, uh, it's uh, if you speak French, uh, Velo's uh, French for bicycle. Exactly, and focus a lot on neighborhoods that uh, are bikeable. Oh, awesome! And you have that red bike on your logo, so that absolutely makes sense. What are some of the neighbors neighborhoods that you like to focus on in the Greater Phoenix area that are considered bikeable? Because Phoenix by all intents and purposes, is not a walkable town um, for the most part, um, but certainly can be bikeable. So where do you like to focus? Uh, the three or four main neighborhoods are uh, North Central, okay. which is very bikeable. Uh, where That's half the fun, is instead of taking your car and dealing with parking, uh, just have a nice leisurely bike ride and go to your favorite place. You know, go to Husbury or go get a glass of wine at Postino's, something like that. Uh, sure, and something you could do with your children uh, if you're in the family way. Uh, so we uh, we like to focus on North Central, uh, the Biltmore neighborhoods, uh, Arcadia, of course. Sure, uh, Scottsdale or Old, Scottsdale is a pretty big city, so like Old Town Scottsdale and uh, Paradise Valley. Perfect. So there's great areas um, full of great houses and and ser- certainly bikeable. But I'm I'm sure you service other areas outside of that. But that's just kind of your your general focus and marketing area? Yes, that, uh, that's sort of the areas that we focus. You have to know them like the back of your hand. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't work in North Scottsdale, Chandler, um, kind of South Phoenix, um, all, the, all those areas as well. Wherever your area, wherever your your uh, GPS takes you, right? Exactly. <laughs> so. And how did you, um, you kind of come into that name and, and branding, um, where, how'd you stumble upon that? Well, uh, the original idea was to have a company called Red Bike Realty. Okay. Just thought if I would kind of roll off the tongue pretty easy. And? Um, with the logo <laughs> and everything. Uh, then when it came down to, uh, to copywriting and uh, patent, well, not a patent, but a copyright, uh, it was already copyrighted in La Jolla. It was like a property management company that had it. So, Got it. Um, we kind of switched gears and went uh, French with uh, Velo. If you're in the cycling world, that's yeah. uh, that's obviously just like running. Cycling has also just grown exponentially in its uh, popularity. Uh, and there's no shortage of wonderful bike shops here in the Valley uh, as well. So it's been fun to have uh, partnerships with them. And uh, uh, you know, originally I thought it'd be fun to do like open houses on bikes like a, a bike ride open house tour oh, that's uh, a great idea but uh 
So the market's been interesting last uh, couple of years where we had no inventory. So it's <laughs> yeah. possible to do that. Now we're starting to get some inventory back. So maybe we can work on uh, putting that back together. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that for for certain. Two months ago, there wasn't even an open house. I mean, it was like a open door, come bring your offer. Um, so you didn't even need a bike. You needed a, a rocket ship to get there um, to in time and get in the front of the line. <laughs> oh, how the markets have changed. Oh, how they've changed. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit further. So you started that, and we'll get into the path of how you started your business. But prior to that, you were in, um, from what I know, in, into the commercial world of, of real estate and then investing. And so you've had a, a checkered not a checkered past. That's not right. You've had a uh, <laughs> you've had a a long history uh, in real estate. So let's take us back to the beginning. You got your license when? Uh, I got my license in uh, 1998. I was, wow! Uh, to date myself, I was 20 years old. I was a uh, yeah, no kidding. Finishing my sophomore year of college, and um, I just uh, when I learned that you you didn't need any. You know, to get a license, uh, you could you didn't have a college degree. You could just you don't have to have a high school degree. You yeah, go get one. And so during the summer, that was one of my goals, uh, and I thought it would be pretty cool to have a real estate license and be twenty years old. Sure. So, uh, so I went ahead and did that, and um, and then I kind of stuck with real estate uh, out of college. I majored in economics and uh, worked for a real estate development company focusing on okay. medical office development and senior living facilities. Interesting. And I did a lot of site selection uh, and construction, punch list management uh, for some pretty major projects, which back then those were like $240 million projects. That's a big uh, number. So it, uh, you got to learn both sides, both what makes a good site and then also uh, just a myriad of things, maybe more akin to your world where uh, when construction items haven't been met and you, know, you have an event that didn't get capped behind a wall and uh, why does it smell stinky in this particular <laughs> part of the building? Uh, yeah. There are drywall to find it. Uh, things yeah. Like Interesting. And you're still yeah. not, you're holding your real estate license at this point. You're working for you're employed by somebody for this this job but yeah, I was able you... to, to keep my I was able to hang my license with my employer even though I wasn't really doing traditional brokerage work got it the uh, so yeah, yeah for my work I didn't really need a license uh, but that company did do you know, did have leasing services and property management services got it so you're so, not doing anything with your license at this point you got it because it was cool um, yep. and it is cool to have it at 20 that's that's a quite the achievement and then and also foresight into what your future would bring and then now you're working with a big builder then what yeah. happens so that, that part was uh, pretty fun and then uh, from there i moved on i wanted to get some uh, some accreditation and so I, instead of going to business school i went to law school got it and uh, i was probably the only person i knew who didn't want to actually practice law <laughs> I went there with the sole intention of learning everything I could about real estate and development. Interesting. Uh, so I took all of the obviously you know, zoning, uh, you know, the mandatory property classes, uh, business associations, which are your LLCs, your corporations, your S corps, your C corps, uh, all your partnerships, your limited partnerships, uh, all of those uh, estate planning. So you understand how trusts play into it. Uh, 
how to hold assets, uh -huh. all the fun tax courses on uh, 1031 exchanges. Uh, it was actually a wonderful, wonderful foray into the innards of, of real estate um, to go to law school with that pure focus. I did not take evidence. I never took family law. Uh, there's a lot of those other subjects that I, uh, I would say, avoided, but uh, my sole focus was, was purely real estate. That's fascinating. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't um, doesn't ASU have a business? Isn't it the business of real estate or the business college of real estate? Um, how do you think that differs for just going into law with focusing into real estate versus that college of real estate? Or or are they aligned? Or is the 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 legal aspect of it going to be elevated? Um, well, in your opinion. In, in now, you know, in 2022, I know they have a few uh, interdisciplinary uh, programs. Yeah. So when, and again, I'm dating myself. So we're going back to like 2002. Uh, yeah. 20 years ago. Uh, so they didn't really have, I don't think, any of those programs. They did have a school of construction, which was a novel That's thing true. at the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you could do a thing called an LLM, where you could get sort of a, a JD MBA program. Uh -huh. Then they also had another one, which was a uh, an LLM degree, which is sort of like a focus on accounting through law. Right. Uh, that was pretty much what I think was available at the time. Um, and now they have what is probably the best program is the uh, Masters of Real Estate Development, the MRED program, which is, uh, I also attended that when I think that program started maybe in 2007. Uh -huh. uh, so I'm a class of 2009 for uh, for that degree, and that was a interdisciplinary degree with the uh, School of Design, the School of Law, School of Construction, and W.P. Carey School of Business. Wow! So it's kind of like getting an MBA, but just hyper focused on just real estate development. Interesting. That's incredible. Um, I had no clue. Did you? You got your law degree. Did you take the test for the bar, or because you omitted some of those things, were you not able to? It uh, no, it, it made it uh, more difficult uh, to take. Yeah. What I, I did take the bar. Um, luckily, uh, the Arizona bar allows you to um, obtain your license, and then uh -huh. I immediately put it uh, what they call inactive. Okay. So I don't have to uh, do the continuing uh, education, like uh, continuing legal ed classes. Um, with my brokerage uh, license, I have to do plenty of continuing ed already sure. for that. So to be able to keep that, uh, you know, if I want to, I can activate it tomorrow and go uh, practice law if I'd like. But, uh, but I, I just keep staying in my lane and uh, yeah. just providing brokerage services. That's fascinating. So you've been like a lawyer, the it's amount so of time fun. it took to send an email, like, congratulations, you passed, send the email, I'm not a lawyer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty yeah. funny. Well, and it's, uh, again, it's it's really beneficial. Sometimes you, you know too much. Uh, you understand all of the liability. Yeah. Uh, acting as a fiduciary, which uh, in Arizona, a broker and a real estate licensee do owe. Uh, sometimes you think about investment advisors. Uh, some are fiduciaries, some are not. Right. Uh, the liability that goes along uh, with the performance of those services. Um, and so it's something that you cannot uh, take too lightly. Uh, 
if you're acting obviously as an attorney, uh, but in a lot of respects, real estate attorneys or real estate licensees and brokers, of course, uh, owe those exact same duties to their clients. So you really need to stay on top of that so you don't uh, get into trouble. And people get into trouble often. Yeah, I would imagine. I, it holds you to a higher standards if you have the knowledge too. And I, I would have to imagine, I mean, just adhering what you knew about trusts and 1031 exchanges and, and then with your experience of the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the MBA of the uh, real estate development, um, that adds a lot of advantage to your client's purchase, right? Like, cause you, you have a deeper understanding of one, the purchase, but two, um, how to set it up. So it's, everybody's protected tax advantages stuff like that is that right it does yeah it, uh, uh, there's a lot of moving parts and so if you're working uh, residential real estate is segmented into different markets there's sort of markets mm-hmm. for first-time home buyers uh, middle america kind of market and then you have uh, the luxury market and the ultra luxury market and if you're going to okay. work in some of those areas uh, the parameters of the clients and their needs you're going to need some more background info uh, to be able to handle them. Sometimes you're dealing with a trust. Uh, you're dealing with uh, uh, maybe someone who had passed away or has lost uh, uh, mental capacity. Uh, mm-hmm. So how do you coordinate with the title company and making sure that uh, that trust and that client and the family is getting their, their needs met uh, appropriately and you don't have mm-hmm. a normal, full-functioning person that says you, know, you want to sell and we want to sell for this much or we want to buy. buy right. Interesting. It gets, uh, as it gets more complicated, you, you definitely need more, more background info. Yeah, for sure. And you have the tools to help um, navigate through it. So now you're, you're graduated from your development program. It's 2009. You've had your license for 11 years. Now what, what are you doing? What are you doing the next step? Well, between the, those times, I uh, I did work for a commercial real estate brokerage called okay. Crown Partners that uh, sort of has a reputation of being uh, deep in the industrial sector. Okay. I was brought on to handle the Scottsdale office market. So I spent the better part of a year or two uh, tracking that market, reaching out to owners, and that's a great place to really learn a lot of like how real estate works. And uh, I didn't really have a lot of mentors, but the ones I had, uh, they called the circle of life. Mm-hmm. I look at like raw land and say like, well, what does that land work? You know, if you entitle it, put zoning on it, uh, then you could build this, and it's worth what you can do with it. Uh, Interesting. And then full circle lease rates when they pierce a new level, you know, as as a supply becomes limited lease rates tend to go up and so once they reach a certain amount or threshold that's sort of a signal to developers to kind of know well if i can buy the land for this and build it for for y and get that lease rate then we'll make a profit right that's sort of the circle of life of the homeostasis of the market and obviously people get too aggressive they get they get in too early they get out too late and sometimes it uh, doesn't always work that well, but if you stay true to the principles uh, and know to look for your market markers, uh, you can you can do that. Uh, 
And so that, that was a great way to learn that through brokerage and really understand how it works. Uh, and then you get into the nuances of which buildings have deferred uh, maintenance, uh, which sure. buildings have uh, what we call functional obsolescence, where the floor plate, the floor plans aren't really uh, attractive to today's users. Uh, so you learn very quickly that, uh, you know, why that building leases for this and this one leases for more or less. And with industrial, you're you're doing it on, you know, what I'm guessing is really large pieces of property too. Right. I, but I never really did a lot of the industrial. I just stuck to the uh, to the office market. Office market. Okay. And, uh, but a lot of those lessons uh, and analysis uh, still parlay right into residential real estate as well. Same way with design, interior design, finishes, functional sure. floor plans. Um, it, it's all the same. Same analysis. And it helps probably, I would assume, to be having those harder conversations with investors and business people that that aren't really as emotionally connected to the product. You got to practice those hard conversations before you got into residential real estate when you're walking into somebody's home and saying, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, this house is dated, right? And it's maybe not worth exactly what you were you were uh, thinking that it was worth? Well, the, the big difference is uh, usually when you're in the commercial world, you're dealing, not always, but generally with someone who is either a sophisticated user of that space uh-huh. uh, or just someone who's sophisticated uh, in business. And so yeah. you understand the differences between uh, you know, floor area ratios, common area maintenance, uh, load factor of a building and how that all uh, plays into the sort of operations and profitability of a, of a given office building, especially when it has more. Right. Um, when you move to residential, you're usually working with folks who might be very successful. And we've all lived in a home before, but they're, they're not intimately, you know, understanding why this is, you know, better or worse, you know, the difference between this electrical, upgraded electrical panel or, or not. Uh, so right. there's sometimes some, some education involved there. The other major difference is that uh, with commercial, a lot of those uh, parties are sort of dispassionate. It's all about you know making a profit. Numbers, and, yeah. Um, and of course, you'd like to maybe have something architecturally beautiful, but at the end of the day, you know you're trying to your your company is trying to make a bottom line, and if it works, don't you know, just, just let it go. Uh, whereas uh, the residential sector is much more dependent on uh, emotions. It's about sure. how you walk into a, any given space and how does it make you feel? How much light is in the space? How is it laid out? What is the design, both from the architectural and the interior design? Uh, so doing the MRED program was very integral because back in those days, it was actually housed in the ASU School of Design. So to be able to get a good sense of what makes good design, what goes uh, into it, just like uh, staging a home, there is a method to the madness. It's not just sure. random. Um, if you learn those those practices, you can uh, implement them, and it might give you an effect on a subconscious level. But like art, you sort of know it when you see it. Right. You know, you know something is right, but you don't know exactly why. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I think that's always the benefit if you're designing a home. Uh, if if you sometimes there's a subconscious symmetry, 
that you don't necessarily pick up on unless you're into deep into design, but anyone can walk through that space and they will appreciate it and enjoy it, even if they can't really you know, point to why. You know, if, if, uh, if the tile is laid in a certain way that adds symmetry, uh, you may not consciously know. You might pick that up, you know, after you've lived there a couple of years, but then you realize you've been in another space. And if it's not symmetrical, you'll notice right away. Yeah. And then that's also a reflection of the design or perhaps in a poor uh, uh, implementation or craftsmanship where people got lazy. Uh, and if that one window sill is off by an inch, uh, if, it's, if it's spot on, you won't notice it. You'll just like it. And if right. it's off by an inch, it'll bug you. Yeah, that's true. That's fascinating. There's like a lot of psychology and, and color choice too. Um, sure, yeah. it's, it, everything has kind of become a science, right? Like where we're all applied together. Um, right. It becomes art. Some of the projects, some of the houses um, that you walk into are without a doubt art. And, and that's why, you know, it, especially even in the, the Phoenix Valley, you have the uh, Al Beatles, Ralph Pavers and, and um, Frank Lloyd Wright uh, that have that carry such mystique. Um, you walk into it, you don't know why you like it, but something about it you just like, or a lot of things about it you like. All I, love, I love the mid-century design. It's very classic. You know, it was cool thirty years ago. It'll be cool thirty years from now. Yeah, it is interesting though how uh, you can just like uh, just like fashion. You know, if you go too deep into a trend. You can date yourself really well. I mean, if you still want to have an affliction shirt and a trucker hat, uh, people will know uh, what, what uh, you know, when Sean was, was partying. Uh, you know, so <laughs> yeah. It's the same way with, uh, you know, we went through the Super Tuscan stage where uh, everyone wanted, you know, more uh, natural stones. Columns. And their granite. Uh, and then they wanted more. They wanted tumble travertine, and then we're going to put it everywhere on the floor and on the walls. And, uh, and then those home, those homes are instantly dated, uh, for sure. So again, I'm not really giving out advice, but I, you know, to to follow a, a balanced approach, uh, uh -huh. you know, pursuing classic designs with good floor plans. With uh, you know, sometimes the tricks are like if you're getting the the knobs and the pulls on your cabinetry. You know, if you do like a like a polished uh, you know, chrome or something like that, um, you can always dress it up with maybe like you'll do the faucet in the you know in the, in the chrome, but then the the door pulls and things like that are cheap, so you can or cheaper, so you can always replace those with the new you know you know the gold, the brass, whatever is in whatever is in vogue. Then. Yeah. When that's passe, then you can swap them out forever uh, without having to rip out your entire kitchen bathroom. So there's there's ways of doing it so you can stay relevant and, and classic. But I, have huh. to, but I have noticed as a you know, as a broker, especially for residential real estate, that anytime a home is the perfect example of that trend, it's you're almost jumping on a ticking time bomb because in Five years, it's going to be so dated, and then no one's going to want it. Yeah, for sure. Well, not that not 
everyone, no one would want it, but its appeal is certainly diminished. Somebody won. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, you can feel it, especially in 80s houses, I think, and early 90s houses um, when you walk into it. And not to, not to, um, not to pinpoint anybody who may have that or may love it. Um, cause there's, I, I truly believe that there's a buyer, the right buyer for every house. Um, but it's it's, if you, if you wait long enough, that trend will come it comes back. <laughs> yeah. in good shape. I, uh, I sold a beautiful home, a ranch home in, in, uh, Arcadia light that, uh, it had white carpet that you could eat off of. Um, yeah. It had the original tile in the bathroom, uh, everything. It was like a time capsule home. Yeah. And, and just the light fixture. I mean, you can't, you know, you can go to Melrose and, and try to buy those, those fixtures, um, but you could get the real deal. And, and they were frankly built pretty well. Like some of those fixtures. Yeah. Like, better. Um, you know, I think those days, like things were built better. Uh, right now things are just really disposable. It's yeah. Kind of like run it and throw it away. It's kind of fixing it. You don't have a, a repairman to come fix the fan you just go get a new fan sure toss it uh let's slide back though um so out of commercial real estate you're learning the process of it the circle of of real estate life um then what then what happens uh then after that i uh struck out on my own and uh created a an investment company that was effectively in commercial they call it value add Mm-hmm. Uh, where you're basically buying like the equivalent of like a of a house fixer flipper, but instead of the house, it's a maybe it's either commercial land, multifamily land, office, retail, uh, something that's uh, not stabilized, not uh, you know producing uh, an appropriate income. Okay, so you buy it uh, at a discount, and you try to fix what's wrong and uh, improve it, and then you sell it to to an investor okay uh, now has uh, an income stream so i did that for gosh probably like 10 years i'm thinking um and we uh i started off by, by myself and then eventually uh I teamed up with a friend and partner and uh you know grew that even even bigger mm-hmm. and uh but you have to realize you have to understand uh you're at the end of the day, you're trying to earn a, a rate of return for your investors. Sure. And it all depends on your pipeline of, you know, acquiring new projects um, at a cheap enough discount. So that way you can make your improvements and then sell it. And uh, you have to really stay on top of capital markets because when you're raising capital, you know, if you're asking someone for an investment you know, they can choose to invest it in, the stock market, they could buy Tesla stock, anyway. they could buy Bitcoin. Um, and how is your project going to return compared to theirs? And what's the risk profile? Uh, and so we were having a harder time finding new things to put in the pipeline because we wanted to get them a double digit return. Sure. Relatively uh, conservative in terms of risk. And as that became more difficult, we, the writing was on the wall that Maybe we'll just have to close up the shop. And so we eventually just sold out of the portfolio. Uh-huh. Everyone made their, their, their money back and their return. I was very proud of that. But not cool. only can you uh, create these investments that people trust you with their, their money, uh, and then you get them some very respectable returns. And, uh, 
very happy with that. But then you have to have enough self-governance to know, you know, when the winds are changing and, and to kind of walk away. Uh-huh. And uh, a lot of people don't because at that point they've created a, you know, a lot of employees. Uh, that's a difficulty with uh, development because you, you hire staff, uh, you know, buy a building, you're renting, you're leasing space. And uh, when the market shifts, well, you're going to keep on developing because that's what you do. That's what you know. Maybe you shouldn't because the winds have shifted. So being able to stay nimble is, is pretty key. Hmm. So uh, we walked away from that and uh, still, you know, best of friends with my partner. But no acrimony there. Um, and then he went in a different direction in the metal recycling business. So, mm-hmm. and at this point, I was like, well, I, I still know real estate pretty well. So I've been living in Arcadia for 15 years at the time. Well, I can start doing the numbers on on that residential brokerage, and like, well, I can make that work. And so I started my I rebranded. I thought I already had a brokerage at that point, but it was more of an investment version. Uh, right. Re, re like pivot the license, and then just create a new LLC, and that's really focused on third party uh, real estate brokerage. Uh, for Got it. Residential. And uh, so yeah, I've been doing that for the last seven years, and been growing that business every year, and it's uh, it's been fun. Yeah. Well, that takes us up to relatively present time, and you you've also so you've not only been growing a business, but you've also um, you could you get a sense in the way in which you were talking, but you have a passion for um, design and development. You've also um, built some houses too in the process, right? Um, I have. It, um, it's a bit of a a side hustle. Sure. Um, so it's uh, there are two complementary disciplines. Uh, when you work in, say, residential real estate brokerage, uh, I look at homes for a living. Sure. I'm touring them, um, very intimate knowledge of what the market is doing, uh, where design trends are going, which ones are passe, uh, new technology. Uh, in, in uh, home automation and, and mechanical functions, things like that. Um, at the same time, you know, you you can spot a good opportunity, uh, you know, a gap. Whereas if you, you know, whether you're going to do a fix and flip or if you're going to do a full new build, um, you can identify that opportunity and uh, do another. You know, development investment, and so so yeah. far, really, those have all been very well. But it, same thing. It's it's not something you can do all the time. Sometimes, where the market, uh, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to be doing that in two thousand seven. Probably not. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's been fine, and and it's been very rewarding uh, to to do development because if you're building a new product that is beautiful. Uh, you're, I feel, like contributing to the community. You're adding to, uh, say, the architectural provenance of, of the community that's long-lasting. Uh, it just makes you feel good. And again, if you can make some money for yourself and the investors, then that's the cherry on top. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like, um, I mean, last, at least your last project is the one that I know about. I don't know if you've done many others or, or what have you from the ground um, to the to the completion. 
from the dirt to completion, but um, it wasn't a small feat. I mean, you're, you're being very humble. It's not like you're building a 1500 square foot, three bedroom, two bath. Like you bought, you built a, I don't know, what was it? Six, 7,000 square foot house. Yeah. That, that home, it was a very uh, modern, (laughs) it was a 6,500 square foot home. Yeah. In Paradise Valley that kind of backed up um, towards the mountain preserve. Yeah. The, the, um, it was originally a, a lot listing that I had. Uh, yeah. So a lot of it was not getting a lot of love from the traditional builders. And so we decided to bootstrap it ourselves and prove them wrong. And uh, push the chips in and go all in. We did. And, <laughs> and, uh, and even in that vein, you know, I, development is a different beast. It, uh, it's always a team. And you're yeah. only as good as your bandmates, and yeah. trust uh, and have faith in their uh, their abilities. Then uh, you can you know, have that cohesion and make something really wonderful. And so, to be able to work with your interior designers, your landscape architects, your obviously the uh, the lead designer was uh, the Kendall Design Collaborative that has done a lot of award-winning homes. Uh, mm-hmm. And to be able to build something uh, that beautiful uh, is, uh, is certainly a pleasure. And uh, and the fact, you know, it's nice that it uh, is financially uh, successful as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so now I think we've got a very happy homeowner over there. And, and we kind of get those things going where um, the I'm building one more on Camelback Mountain at the moment. Uh, we have a subdivision in North Central uh, that we're working on. And uh, and just picked up another uh, property in in Arcadia. So you're filling your plate. You kind of, you kind of, yeah. You just sort of have irons on the fire, but uh, that doesn't really preclude you from uh, the day to day. The the core business. Uh, That's the core business, and uh, but they're complementary disciplines because working with a a seller or a buyer. Um, I feel like I'm intimately uh, acquainted with the the cost to rehab certain things, mm-hmm. um, maybe the design, and also the best practices. Uh, sometimes people, you know, you can. Uh, I like to be very honest and candid with folks, uh, not to waste their time. Uh, but sometimes, if you want to remodel, uh, you know, like this one bathroom, but not the other one. Or you're not going to do the kitchen. Like you don't really get the credit for it on the value. And you know, it's time to, time to sell. Right. If you want to remodel your bathroom because you really like it and you're going to use it, then by all means, do it. Right. But uh, if you think you're just by remodeling one bathroom, like you're significantly going to change the value of the home, or you're going to get the neighbor's value, um, that's a brand new home. It's just not going to happen. We're all guilty of looking at price per square foot and saying, like, oh, that's what my house is worth, and that's just not how it works. Right. Otherwise, uh, Zillow would still be. (laughs) (laughs) And that goes back to what you said earlier, but design, function, feel, the intangibles that, that, um, untangibles, intangibles that, that you know you like something when you walk in, but you don't know why, but that's because a lot of people have come together to make it so. Um, that's fascinating. Um, and it, so, and firstly, the, uh, 
you know, when you're certainly on the development side, you kind of know what trends, like what people are really wanting. Um, so you can implement those into your design on the development side. Right. Because you're, you're kind of seeing like what, what flies, what doesn't. Uh, it's a fluid market on any given day. So you can kind of see what someone else brought to market or what someone else did on their remodel and why it got snapped up quickly, why everyone loved it, crushed on it. Uh, and then you can uh, emulate those attributes in your, in your development uh, for your project, even if it's a, a remodel. There's a sense of some risk though, right? Like if you're, you know, your 6,000 square foot property took, um, I don't know, 18 months to build, right? Does that sound about right? Yep. And you're you're choosing trends that you think are going to be relevant in 18 months, right? So you have to take some risk or was there, or is that just uh, trading the trust into your um, design people that they know what's coming down the pipeline? That's exactly right. You. Uh, you have to trust in your in your team, and, yeah. Uh, and it's also a collaborative effort because you have to, in a kind way, you know, challenge each other and like, well, what do you think about this? Is that really necessary? Or, uh, and choosing your team is important because if they're just going to do the, you know, copy and paste from the last job, um, that's a recipe for disaster. You have to always right. be pushing the boundaries uh, and. Uh, and staying fresh which without many what's that i'm sorry without getting too crazy like one of the things um you know a lot of other folks may uh if you're going to build a, a property on spec you'll want to keep your costs in check for obvious reasons because if right. you get out of hand you don't make any money um, but uh, sometimes craftsmanship suffers sometimes the design suffers uh, and they just take the easy route because they don't want to spend money on designers. But if you do spend that money and then implement their designs and it mm -hmm. works and it's cohesive, then at the end of the day, you've got a product that uh, most others cannot rival. Huh. And then even thing, you kind of just secured yourself insurance because unless the market really crashes, uh, you've got a, a very beautiful design and the market at large really can't compete. And so hopefully another sophisticated buyer will appreciate that and they pay a premium. So you have a level of uniqueness that um, supersedes a lot of other elements when people are considering a, a purchasing decision. Is that, I mean, that's yeah. effectively when, it. When you're in the, uh, in the ultra luxury market, uh, you sure. don't know uh, what those buyers are looking for. Um, most of those buyers are in a financial position where um, they can certainly afford to build their own home. And, mm -hmm. uh, but what they're essentially doing is getting the convenience of just buying your spec that you've already done all the work. Uh, so if you don't cheap out on it too much, then you're still rivaling the level of a well-done custom home that might cost you know, 1500 bucks a foot to, to build. Um, if you can do that more efficiently, um, but still provide that same level of custom nature, uh, then it's a win for everybody. So like on that particular home, we, we upgraded things. As, as opposed to trying to have some cost savings, we actually increased our budget to have like a power slider 
So the entire room would open up, and so you get a complete inside-outside. Yep. We also uh, went with a very, uh, at the time, uh, kind of a novel wet edge pool. Uh, so a lot of people are familiar with negative edge pools. Right. Uh, wet edge is kind of like the new thing. And uh, I think for a lot, for most people who came in, we were the first one they'd ever seen. Right. Uh, that certainly took a lot more engineering and more cost. Uh, but it was uh, something you can hang your hat on. And you say, well, go look at that house down the street and tell me if the pool's the same. Well, and you can't just snap your fingers and get one. It, it has to be designed from the get-go. Right. So by investing in some of those unique design features, uh, so you do insulate yourself and you're building quality. And again, it's still something you can be very proud of. So you're wearing that one hat on this particular build as the builder, designer, you're in it for 18 months, and then it's time to shift gears into um, making that connection. Now you got to sell it. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about the process to sell that ultra luxury um, structure that you just built. And then how do you take critique without taking it personally? You know, like somebody walks through and they're like, oh, this is that zero edge pool what'd you call it uh, oh, wet edge yeah. wet edge pool sorry this this thing's terrible i've i've seen that on magazines whatever and, and you're like wait a minute that thing's really cool <laughs> you know, there's, there's always plenty you know when you're there uh, obviously i market the property myself um, yeah and so they don't know that i was technically i mean technically on the listing it does say that i am um, you know an owner Proper owner. yeah disclose that on, on the list but uh so you just you have to be dialed in. So the the luxury market, um, you have to network, and a lot of agents uh, aren't. I mean, there's uh, things like the luxury home tour. Um, you have to know who your colleagues are. A lot of them are pros, and you network with them. Make sure uh, they understand that you've been working on it. Uh, you can bring them in during the construction process. Uh, there's sort of a a collaboration of of information sharing that yeah. Is, but like full-time brokers and agents do, uh, they're always up to up to speed on what who's got what and when is it coming due. So that way, if, uh, if you've got a client or your friend's got a client that's been looking for something, you can direct them uh, that way and and, uh, and see. So I had already been, uh, I say dialed in, but I was integrated in that community. I still am. I'm a proud member of the Luxury Home Tour, I'm a member mm -hmm. of the Realtor Tour. Uh, being a part of those associations are wonderful because while we still compete for listings, uh, we we also collaborate. Yeah. And uh, and the information sharing is uh, is very very key. Just like uh, like a, you know, you could have civil litigators that uh, go out together and have a drink afterwards, talk about work. Um, even though they might be on the opposite ends of a deal. And at the end of the day, it's uh, as opposed to litigation, with real estate, you're, you're trying to make a deal happen. Um, yeah. Support your client and getting them the, the transaction that they want. And uh, so you really do need to be collaborative with the, uh, the other agent. I think pros do that. Other people will, that are maybe not as professional or short sighted will. Just think one-sided, and then they risk losing a deal and losing that for their client. Sure. So you really went out and and started hustling, and instead of just 
putting your sign out and, you know, fingers crossed, like maybe somebody will come by that wants it. Like you've got to really go out and go to the meetings, meet the people, find the people that have um, connections to the clients that you want to come walk through your masterpiece. Yeah, I think, you know, you just have to be well-networked and you cannot, no no person is an island. Uh, You you have to work with the community. And uh, and so that was important, making sure that was uh, done. Uh, The other uh, difference, um, a lot of other uh, folks may uh, start marketing the property uh, officially on MLS, like halfway through the construction process or maybe Mm -hmm. before they start. Um, but, uh, I took a little bit more of a risk and I waited until everything was absolutely complete with the mm. chair on top, which was risky because you're fully vested at that point. Uh, but, uh, it helped for the marketing because it was ready. It was due. You know, yeah. uh, have it today. One of the things I've learned in marketing is, uh, marketing is just, if you're trying to sell something, you have to take away the reason to say no. And, you know, well, you know, I like it, but, you know, I'll wait until this happens or I'll wait until that. You take all those away. I guess ready. It's done. Yeah. You know, either, either don't like it today and it's not for you or, uh, or you risk someone else scooping it up. And if, uh, and you have to create that sense of urgency. Hmm. Uh, it through your fingers. And so that's, that's what we're able to accomplish on that one. That's an interesting perspective. I mean, people are starting to market it six months before completion with the hopes of locking in a buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, you knew that you'd have a buyer, the right buyer that came the right way, but they would want the keys today or whenever, you know, in uh, 30 days or so. There's more problems with those. Sometimes uh, the appeal of trying to get into a, a project halfway through is that you can choose your finishes. Right. Trying to make a spec home a customer. Right. Um, I took a different perspective, and, and in that case, it worked out. Yeah, they had a good team. Where I picked out the finishes, or the team picked out the finishes, um, and did all the work. And uh, luckily, it was attractive, and we were able to earn a premium for that. And it actually helped out with the speed because we were able to make decisions quickly, whereas other people are kind of hanging and hawing, and then they change their mind and. Uh-huh. The process yep. of building a custom home is a, a much lengthier process and sure. brain damage and that's what I do for. But uh, uh, there's, there's some joy in just being able to, you know, buy that brand new car right off the lot and like it's it's a red one. Fine, cool. Let's go. Yeah, take it. Yeah. Huh. Almost like too many choices, people you know, they, they call it paralysis by analysis. Yep. Decision fatigue, all that, yeah, for sure. Um, sorry. But all those processes make a difference when you're representing clients on traditional resale uh, or on the listing side. Uh, you have to have those same connections for marketing, uh, and you have to understand the, the background uh, for the clients. Uh, for sure. You know, financially, if they're very wealthy and they're paying cash or things like that uh, that's something as a with my economics background i i really drilled in on that there's 
know, you can read the paper and they'll say the median home price is falling. Sales are falling right now. That's not fully accurate. It's accurate, but it's not fully accurate because depending on the zip code, depending on on the market that you might be looking at, those prices may not, they may still be increasing. They're just decelerating. But that's not as, uh, there's not as much clickbait uh, saying that the market's decelerating. They want to say that the prices are falling. And that that'll get people to click, and that'll that's a better headline. Uh, so, the average person who reads the paper, if they still people still do that, I still do it. Uh, yeah, but you have to drill down into the data, and uh, that's another one of the things that's important. Uh, uh, I still am a subscriber to the Comfort Report that has kind of takes all the data, the MLS uh, of the Arizona Regional MLS MSA, and has it all there in my fingertips. So when I'm working on a listing in North Scottsdale, uh, I've got distinct data from that micro market. Uh, hmm. How many days on market? Uh, how many, what's the average amount of concessions that people are providing uh, to new buyers? Oh, wow. All of that. I mean, I, it's an, an insane amount of data. And I feel like if you're out there and you're not using it, uh, then you're, you've got one hand uh, tied behind your back. Yeah, it's fine by the seat of the plane. But it costs money. Like all these, all these uh, associations, like you, you have to be fully invested. So that's been the biggest difference in the market. Like there's full time brokers and agents mm-hmm. uh, investing yourself and your business to perform at a high level. Um, but the far majority of agents out there are uh, part time. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that, but. I just don't see how you can provide the same amount of service uh, and expertise if you're doing it part-time because you definitely can't afford to invest in all the data and associations that it requires. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, a a lot of people forget about it, but I mean, my business, your business is a service-based business. We have a client that has a need um, and, and it is our obligation to fulfill that need no matter what it takes. Um, yours is a lengthier process. Ours is a shorter process, but you know, it's, um, we need to meet for coffee on Tuesday to figure out, you know, what areas of neighborhood you want to be in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, start looking for houses. You know, you have a, you have a month and a half, 45 day, 60 day, 90 day relationship with somebody to get them to the finish line. Um, It's always interesting. I think you're hitting the nail on the head where the, the misconception, and maybe it was in the last, Two years, yeah, such a uh, it was insanity. It was levels of insanity. It was such a strong sellers market. We had to create new graphs to really illustrate how insane it was. Um, but a lot of folks would say, like, "Well, what you know? Why do we even need brokers or agents anymore? Uh, do you really need that service? My dog could sell my house. Why am I going to pay <laughs> uh, a commission?" Uh, and you know you see the the upstart of you know Open Door and Zillow, mm-hmm. uh, and I think the proof has been in the pudding that the, the, that their business models have only lost their company's money. Right, uh, and you can certainly there's nothing wrong with you know selling your home to Open Door, but uh, to think that you're getting fair market value with seventy two sold is is uh, you know you can tell yourself that, but. Anyone who's an expert knows that you're not. You're leaving a lot of meat on the bone, and right. you were, if you're inclined to do so, uh, 
there's nothing wrong. You know, it's a free country. But uh, you know, think of it as a convenience food. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's you know, people in a certain spot, but um, the uh, I just noticed how those business models. We'll, we'll see now that the that the market is balanced. Can those business models succeed? I I know the Open Door and the Zillow don't. They they couldn't succeed in a strong seller's market. Oh, yeah, that's how they'll succeed at all. <laughs> well, there's always the. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. There's there's the sales paradigm, right? You can have speed, you can have service, and you can have price, but you can't have all three. You can have two of the three, but not all three. Um, and so I think when you're making your purchasing or selling decisions, you have to determine what's going to be the most important for you in that particular case. Sometimes you need a hamburger and um, and McDonald's is fine because you need it fast and you need it quick. Um, but sometimes you need um, steak 44. You need a, you know, a $200 steak uh, with extremely good service, but you're really losing out on price on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh that is, that is true. It's, um, there's no getting around it. There's no no free lunches. No, no. You gotta you gotta give something up or to, in order to get something. Um, let's go back. So you open the brokerage. Um, you know, after being in commercial, you you start developing your marketing. You start networking. Um, you don't. Did you immediately go into luxury, like knowing that that's your target? I mean, I I've seen the path of, of realtors in the past, and you know they. The first thing they want is to sell a house. That's it. Let's get our first sale under the belt. Then they get 10, then they get 20. And then often they get into bigger houses because they get more trusted. And eventually, you know, if they choose that path, they get into luxury. It's not a, it's not a quick path. Um, so what was your path into it? My path was a bit uh, unconventional uh, where, um, you know, typically a new person would come in. In commercial real estate, you might be a, a runner. Uh, yeah. with a team of industrial or office brokers or something like that, a multi-family broker. Uh, and then you kind of and eventually graduate, but you usually have to, that's the thing, brokerage is not an easy business to get into. You, you have to have two jobs. Um, yeah. To actually pay the bills and one to kind of grow into that field because you don't you don't just show up and get a paycheck. But it's a commission-based uh, world. Uh, you uh -huh. have to kill and then uh, it takes a while for that uh, lead up time to sort of level out. Uh, with my background, and I already had a broker's license, um, so I I kind of just jumped into third gear. Um, I was already kind of well networked. I've grown up here in the valley. Um, sure, know, know people, uh, and uh, having lived in Arcadia, which I wouldn't really say Arcadia is like a it was traditionally not a luxury market, but it's right. turned into one uh, while I've lived there. And uh, the demographic, the associated demographic has changed in the zip code. Um, so now it's, uh, it's, still, it's still relatively diverse, but there, you know, a lot of it is now you know, well, well uh, suited in the, in the luxury sphere. Right. Uh, and with Paradise Valley, just kind of being just to the north, it's a very geographically close market it's easy to track uh, not say easy to track but it's uh, uh that's why i think it's important to kind of focus on your core areas and know those super well uh, 
and it's also geographically close, right? To be crisscrossing from yeah. the west side of Phoenix to North Scottsdale, and then back down to Chandler or Gilbert. Um, uh, other agents do that kind of stuff, but uh, uh, I try to make the most out of my day, and, and uh, will happily refer uh, to some agents that just farm those areas. Sometimes you feel like you have to be focused. Uh, but uh, no, so I I just uh, put out my own shingle and uh, slowly. And just like if you're a manual gear uh, car uh, driver, uh, trying to start in third gear doesn't happen real quick. Um, but I don't know if it was any slower or quicker than if I was started in first gear and then second and then got the first. It's just your experience. It was just my experience. <clears throat> and uh, but yeah, we're finally you know, up and running, rock and rolling, and, and uh, still uh, still growing every year. It's always like you know, building your parameters and. Uh, your metrics and, and see uh, what you're doing, and you have to kind of take what the market gives you. Uh, yeah, you know, last That's year was, was a great year, um, but uh, the first part of this year was tough. But this is going to be almost like a the yin and the yang year, where like yeah. the first half of the year there was no inventory. You, know, uh, you could have like 300 agents in a room, and there was like eight listings. Yeah, was all to you know either try to compete for either on the list side or on the buy side. Whereas uh, you know now we're getting back into more traditional inventory levels, uh, and with interest rates where they're at, I think people are waiting. They're still a little skittish. Um, yeah. They're qualified. They're able to do it. They just do like, well, interest rates might go down another quarter point, so maybe I'll wait. Uh, so as the inventory builds up, you, know, you might find some good opportunities. Uh, so it. Uh, so the first half of the year, there wasn't a whole lot to sell. Um, sales, you know, we had a lot of price appreciation, right? Not a lot of uh, sales, uh, and now we could have a lot more sales, but the buyers are a little hesitant with the mortgage rates. Yeah. So, how are you helping buyers win right now? Because I think it's it is a tough time. It's a tough time to jump in. Um, you know, you have you just mentioned price escalation. You have higher interest rates, but one thing. And that paradigm is now you have more options. Now you get the house you want and not the house you had to have because it was the only thing existing. I remember a posting, and it might have been you, um, maybe four months ago, where they said there was either one or none, no listings in Arcadia proper at one point. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what it is now, but it's got to be more than one or zero. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot more. And then you can get in the weeds in terms of like Arcadia proper or just like sure. in general. Uh, but uh, no, you, that's where again, if you're full time and you're a professional, you know what the tools are. Uh, you need to have your contacts with inspection companies. You have to have your contacts with uh, mortgage lenders, mortgage brokers, uh, the title companies. The, all of these different groups that play into transacting a home have. Uh, specific information uh, that can help make for an informed decision. Mm. Uh, so I am not a mortgage broker or lender, uh, but I. Uh, it's important for me to know what available options there are for clients and to be a referral source so that way I can link my client with the right lender given their situation to get the best situation for them. Uh, and also educate them on the map uh, the, to know that uh, uh, you know, if, uh, 
I have a listing right now and we could do a price reduction on it. Or we could save that price reduction money and provide that in terms of a uh, lending, like a mortgage rate buy down concession. Interesting. For that buyer would net them a lot less. You know, just a ten, spending $10,000 on a price reduction doesn't really move the needle. But spending $10,000 on an on a interest rate buy down moves the needle a lot for a buyer. For 30 years. And so if I'm representing my buyers, I got to let them know that this exists and that that's something that we can negotiate. Huh. Uh, the seller is willing to, to play ball with us. And my job, I feel, is always to just be a consultant and to provide clients uh, enough information so they're making just that, an informed decision that's best for them. Uh, it's always their decision. Uh, not, uh, I'm not pushy at all. It's, uh, they are the captains of their boat. I'm just a consultant that gives them everything they need to know so they can make a smart decision for their particular goals. And uh, and so that's kind of how we're helping people win right now is understanding uh, what kind of lending opportunities there are. If you're on the buy side, you may want to do like a three-year adjustable rate mortgage, especially if, uh, if you think interest rates might be going down anyway. Right. And then it's also like showing the math, saying like, well, you could wait around for another three years uh, despite what the newspaper says about the median home price falling, you know maybe the market you're looking in, um, prices are still uh, appreciating and sure. sizable. You know? um, and so you can run the math and say, well, you can sit out, wait it out for a couple of years, and then you're still buying at that higher amount. Or you could buy now, get your foot in the door, um, and you can always refinance that acquisition in a couple of years after six months yeah. i think yeah so there's just to run through the the different scenarios that might be pertinent to their to their situation uh, i think is key and uh, that's a part of being a consultant it's not just uh i think the old adage is like you know an agent like you hop in the back of their car and they just tour you around home and they collect a commission check and like it's a lot more involved than that yeah if you're it is yeah, that's true. If you're trying to best serve your clients, um, what are your one of your tips and techniques um, for building successful long-term client relationships? Um, and how do you maintain them? Well, uh, I like to think. Knock on wood, I've uh, <laughs> I've I've never had any any. Uh, I'm most of my clients have all become friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a busy husband and father, uh, so you know I, my social time is pretty limited. Um, but at, you know, that's the beauty of some technology where you can reach out with an email, um, grab a coffee. Uh, what I always like to do with my clients is keep them up to date on uh, on their homes. So um, I set up special parameters so they're notified of any activity. Um, Buying you know, either a, a list, a coming soon, uh, under contract, or closing in their immediate vicinity. Uh, so they're always kept abreast of that. And I'm always available if they have any questions. Um, you know, if they thought one went pretty cheap and I was disconcerting to them, um, I'm always available to kind of review that with them. Maybe they had a funky floor plan, or maybe they had a mold plan. Um, right. Effectively, uh, the, uh, the overall price. Or likewise, it was uh, stunning. And perfect. 
and it uh, was an outlet. Uh, so I'm always available for them for that uh, kind of analysis. And uh, the other important thing is just uh, I do a lot of reading, uh, yeah. all the way, you know, from capital markets to and how that affects mortgage rates, uh, what you know, mortgage products are out there, uh, and, and also understanding why. And sometimes I think uh, you know, folks want to know if they want to. Kind of, I want to be top of mind, so I am their local expert, and so they don't have to hesitate to call or text. And uh, if they they want to know, learn about it. I can give them a Cliff Notes version real quick. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I mean, I, I, people want to know, but maybe they don't want to know the entire reason why. But they just want to know why. It's kind of like the aesthetic nature of some houses that we've been talking about, where they walk into a room and it's stunning, and they don't sit there and dissect every little element that makes it stunning. So same thing as as you're mentioning, people want to know they got the best deal or the best the the right deal for them, but they don't have to know every detail why. Um, and, what I get and maybe go ahead. Or in so serving those markets, North Central, Fillmore, and Arcadia, uh, and PV, uh, there are a lot of uh, aging homes, and yeah. uh, some people are thinking about doing an addition or doing some uh, rehab work to the home, and they would like to get either a design eye uh, of what would make financial sense because nobody wants to be house poor. Uh, right. You invest in a property and then uh, you, know, you don't get the dollars back. Um, and uh, I've always felt pretty qualified to kind of walk through that analysis with them and give them some data that might help them, uh, even if it doesn't result in a sale um, or a listing. Um, but it's also really helpful to understand uh, sometimes, uh, depending on our life stage, and, and I think. We we're both in similar life stages, mm -hmm. and both our businesses and our uh, fatherhood. Yeah, there's a lot of us that may have landed in a home because it was the right home at the right price, the right area at the time, and yeah. then how it changes. You maybe you know, uh, unfortunately, some people are getting divorced. Sometimes you're having you know extra kids, and that you've now outgrown the home, uh, and you're thinking about the addition and. And sometimes I, it's just good to have a third party impartial person kind of look at the home and say, there's nothing wrong with this home. This is a wonderful home. It's just for a smaller couple. It's for a right. smaller people. There's nothing wrong with it. Like for you to, to rehab it and do all this work, it's a perfect home. Just, you need to admit, you need a different home. And yeah. <laughs> sometimes that's just the honest answer. Uh, you can, you can try to make the starter home into a bigger home, but you're, you're sort of, Fighting against the uh, the current, uh, and you'll have a much better uh, product and a much better investment if you just accept it for what it is and and uh, think about you know applying your efforts to getting your financial house in order so you can make that purchase. You might be having some of those own com conversations with yourself. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, it all comes from personal experience. Yeah. yeah. Um. As a um, as a buyer's agent, you've spoken on that a little bit. What do you like? Uh, what do you like the most about, or even seller's agent? What do you like like the most about home inspections? About home inspections, uh, they're very related. So on the listing side, um, they, I think they're honest. I think they're necessary. They're important, uh, and I think they're fair. So everyone knows. You know, most of my clients. 
no one's trying to get away with anything. They're just, you know, here's what we've got, um, full full knowledge and, and having a good inspector can help identify those things. Sometimes uh, they will identify things that, uh, that obviously the homeowner did not know. Sure. Things that they've lived with because they've had the experience they didn't know. Um, and uh, can, can sort of uh, provide some things that they can uh, maybe make some repairs or things like that that they'll, that they'll want to do. And then on the buy side, uh, similarly, like they uh, need someone to do it and it's a full around the bumper to bumper inspection and see kind of what you're getting yourself into. Because no, these homes are not uh, created equal. Some are newer, some are older, some are built like a fortress, others uh, just you know, fly by night. Uh, yeah. So, and I'm agnostic. There's nothing wrong with any of them. It's just you just need to go into it eyes wide open, know what to expect, and then uh, that way you have a maintenance schedule that uh, and an operating you know, budget that's appropriate. So sure. What you're getting into is, uh, I don't really think there's anything bad possible. It's just you have to know what you're getting and make sure it's appropriate. Make it right for yourself. Yeah. And, uh, I was working with some wonderful clients that were looking in the uh, in Canto district and then mm. they're in the Willow district. And there's some areas around Uptown Plaza, uh, which is actually called Uptown. Uh, yeah. North, uh, they have all these beautiful historic homes. They have just tons of charm and the location's amazing, but they realize that they, um, that the homes are too old and the, you know, the, the age of the pipes and the technology uh, is just too much uh, apprehension to get over. And so we had to find them in a different neighborhood, but you have to go through that process of, sure. of uh, you know, when you think of these homes are of a certain age, like, if you're used to living in a brand new track home, it's very different. Yeah, you don't, I mean, that, that is certainly one of the points of the home inspection is you don't know what you have by looking at the aesthetic nature or the charm of it, but you have to dig into it and have it downloaded on you. And then process it, and and maybe you need to shift gears and go to a, a newer home or a different home, or maybe you head to that older home. Who knows? Um, you know, you decide charm is more important than um, an updated electrical system and and safe wiring. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm uh, I've got a soft spot for uh, classic cars. Sure, I just love the style, the and the experience of you know they don't have all the modern conveniences but no it's sometimes it slows you down in a good way yeah um, it's a more visceral experience and i feel like sometimes some of the older homes have that style they have the charm um and they have their uh shortcomings um, yeah sometimes that uh, even though they have the shortcomings that in a way adds to your life depending on yeah. your lifestyle uh, it might slow you down and you appreciate other aspects, and uh, but it's not for everybody. So, like I said, there's no, no real bad houses. Uh, you just have to go eyes wide open. Same. I oh, my first car was a uh, was a '66 Mustang, and I had that in high school, and, and polished it up and and made it mine. And and would it pass today's safety standards? Heck no. Um, and I still sometimes can't believe my parents let me drive it when I was 16, 17, and 18 years old because I had drum brakes that either pulled hard right 
or left and it was unpredictable. So when I hit the brakes, I didn't know which way the car was going. <laughs> but it was great. I mean, it was mine and, and I worked for it and, and I took care of it. But would I still drive it today? No. I have to, I have a different car. Um, it also only had lap belts and it didn't have AC in Arizona. So there was a lot working for it because I really enjoyed the car, but it wasn't, wasn't for me forever. So you, you nailed that point. Um, different chapters and different seasons of your life. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll be in a certain chapter where like, that's great. And yeah. Then, uh, then you, maybe you're getting older or your, your needs change because, uh, uh, of life. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's the way it is, uh, with homes. I'm, it, as much as passionate as I am about them and the design, um, I kind of look at them as consumer products, like you would a toaster. Huh. And you know, sometimes you need a toaster that can do the bagel and all these other things, and sometimes you just need the simple one. Um, they're both great. Yeah. It's sometimes you, you know, and uh, so when you, your needs change, then uh, then you can kind of swap out, and I think that usually adds most value to your life when you have some cohesiveness. Yeah, for sure. Hit me. Uh, let me let me ask one other question. Uh, what do you like least about home inspectors <laughs> or um, home inspection? Well, uh, so and this goes both ways, actually. On the sure. uh, on the both list and the uh, buy side, is that sometimes yeah. it can be a bit overzealous, and uh, uh, they can kill a deal because things weren't um, maybe some assumptions were made, things weren't properly explained um, and they are communicated or delivered in a manner which can be very scary. Sure. Um, and with my legal background, I understand the whole point of you know, limiting one's liability. So it was all about full disclosure and this and this and this could happen. Right. Um, but that's a big difference between is it happening? Right. So, uh, you know, most of the things I've learned in life is, you know, most of the things that you worry about uh, never actually come, come to fruition. Uh, you know, you think about, oh, what about this happened? Oh, this could happen. And you could spend lots of nights, you know, sleepless worrying about it. Uh, and it never actually happens. It sure. Sometimes happens. You know, bad things do happen. Uh, but um, again, I'm, you know, inspections are integral. Uh, part of the process but if they're not communicated i think fairly um they can almost kind of i don't want to say mislead but they can leave it open for maybe misinterpretation from the from, from either side and then sure then that can sort of kill a deal yeah and so i feel like inspectors do have a big responsibility to perform their services, be thorough, um, but also be uh, realistic. Uh, uh, so, uh, I think that's not, maybe that's like 5% of the time, you know, but, you know, different inspection companies and different inspectors, uh, depending on how they felt that day, you know, they're human beings and uh, they can say or do something that can uh, greatly affect the deal. So, yeah. They've got a big, a lot of weight on their shoulders, a lot of responsibility that uh, everyone is entrusting. I, I 100% agree. I, I mean, I, I can see it happening or I can see it how it happens. Um, 
and and I think it has to do a lot with a couple of things. One is preparation and setting expectations prior to the inspection, both on from the inspection company and from the the real estate or the representative going into it. Um, and then I think a lot has to do with communication, right? It, it's back to that service based business where um, sometimes people need their hands held through something or deeper explanation or that second phone call like hey i remember talking about this it scared me um what's your thought on it is it a big deal not a big deal or like hey it's yeah it's a big deal but you know fifteen hundred dollars and it's fixed or two thousand dollars and it's fixed and then it's not a big deal or you never have to worry about it again so it's kind of not allowing the mic to drop at the end of the inspection but continuing before and after um that's at least my take on it um because um, i mean on the list side you work with a variety of, of different uh, inspection companies and sure some are positive experiences and some you know. but I, I like to say as an industry at least my own personal experience um it's been at a relatively high level i've i've been uh pleasantly impressed but, yeah uh, i've been editing horror stories of like some guy just <laughs> doing anything terrible but uh so we're you know that's obviously something better than others <laughs> yeah i i don't think anybody's vindictive or or gets into the business with that intent um and you're right maybe their their goals are misconstrued on on one particular day or through one of their experiences but um but yeah some are just like doctors right some are better at delivering bad news than others um just like uh waiters some are, some provide better experiences than others and bartenders too um so it, it takes a lot of refinement and effort i think i think you're right it's, uh... but sort of same thing with same could be said with real estate agents and lawyers and whatever you know that the, it never stops if you put more effort into it you get better results out of it uh yeah I, I would hope so it uh most most of the time it's uh there is a like i think the hand holding like you mentioned is important yeah because uh everyone thinks like oh i've, I've lived in a house before and but uh nobody really knows even their workings as well but not this house yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's it so it's important well hank i appreciate the time we spent together together today and, and getting to know more about you and your business and um, i think it's important for you to tell everyone where they can find you and and um and have the opportunity to work with you too yeah well that's all uh yeah well i you know i'm actually in a weird way i'm I'm high tech but low tech. So yeah. um I thrive in the uh in the real world uh you know person to person experience. Um I I have a website that has all of our information and, and our listings and things like that. That's uh dot com. Uh, and other than that, I would say just call and text. I'm I'm always available. I, I uh, usually can answer. I'm not out helping a client. And uh, uh, 
you know, I, but I don't do a lot of the, uh, you know, this is my first podcast. I, uh, I'm out there hustling. Um, yeah. Right. You know, some agents are really adept at making wonderful content videos and, and open house videos. Uh, and not to knock it, I, you know, I, I thought about it. I just, uh, I was busy my time being up on the market rather than just some of the, uh, some, some of those things. So I'm, just pretty much my website. So I think I have a Facebook page. Um, and uh, as a part of a life thing, we uh, this is a tie into our life. We've actually gone off most of social media. Uh, oh, wow. And I, um, you know, living in screen time for our kids, uh, trying to get back to basics. Uh, so uh, I still maintain a, a Facebook page that I have to be on my computer to interface with. But nothing on my phone, and, and I've never felt better. That's great. So I think I applaud I'm, you for that. I'm uh, probably different in that regard. Uh, of a lot of people, let alone like uh, real estate brokers, but uh, I'm committed to it's it. And, um, and I don't think it'll affect uh, business. It's like the eighteen. If you can find me, <laughs> what, and and what is your number so that people can find you? Uh, my phone number is six zero two four five one six zero three three. You can call, text, or email. Thank you, Hank. I well, thank, thanks it. for having me, Sean. I appreciate it, and I uh, always love working with you. And uh, for sure, it's a pleasure working with uh, the pros. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Just Another Real Estate Podcast. For the latest episodes, please subscribe and be sure to follow Dwell Inspect Arizona on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. To contact Dwell Inspect Arizona, call us at four eight zero. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, email our team at office at dwellinspectaz.com.